This is Dylan. This is Nick. And you're listening to Colloquium. Colloquium. Okay. So how does one start a podcast? I don't know. I feel like we could go on and on about how we're going to start it. Just start it. We could. <laughs> you just got to get going. You just got to get talking. Hey, I see your Tolkien books back there. You, you cracked those open? Jolkin, Rolkin, Rolkin, Tolkien. That's right. J.R.R. No, I have not. I uh, still, I think I got two-thirds of the way through Fellowship, and that's about it. Well, what got going on next to your Tolkien books? Those are some really worn books right there. You've been reading those like crazy. Oh, Chronicles of Narnia? Ah, I know. That's I knew because was... those were like hand-me-down. Like my brother gotcha. read them, and then I read them, and yeah, they're, that's they're really, there, though. That's really cool how worn they look. Yeah, the my Narnia for our viewers, our listeners, you can't see because we don't have viewers right now. Um they're they've been through a lot gotcha been through a lot you almost have to put talk if you have a lord of the rings set and a chronicles of narnia set it almost just feels off if you don't put them yeah. next to each other that's on the fair. shelf love how you got them stacked right there next to each that's other fair. i don't think that's intentional but gotcha. they're there there they are it's all in divine providence indeed i don't know why i'm going through your bookshelf right now it's just in my line of vision do i see a, see a tale of two cities down there you do yep that's another one i know it's one i really want to read because i know it's your favorite uh, so it's been on my list for a while, but I guess I'm not a good enough friend to actually read gotcha. it. So. No, no, you're not, but that's okay. <laughs> We're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think a, a book, somebody's bookshelf can, I love like going into somebody's house or their library and just looking at the books on their shelves. Yeah, me too. Much about a person. Yeah, we're going to really go down the rabbit hole if you let me keep going through your shelf. Uh, yeah, well, let's just segue into our topic <laughs> of today because one of the things you'll find on my bookshelf uh-huh. is many a book about our topic today oh i'm supposed to say the topic all right it would have been nice okay if you yeah said it there it's <laughs> <laughs> it's theology of the body theology of the body and i am excited to talk about this i'm like nervous not because of the topic but i'm nervous because you know coming into today i thought there was it's recording but it's uh it's on its last leg. So, gotcha. If this, if you're listening to this right now as a listener, like, thank God because the technology has gone through a lot of difficulties to make its way to you. How's the battery? What's the percent right now on the battery? Oh, it's good because it's plugged in. Oh, I see. Here, yeah. Right, okay. As long as this, like, so I've got like for the listeners, I don't know how you describe what's going on with it, but like I had to pull off like the bottom part of my laptop in order to fit the charger in because mm-hmm. basically like the charging port's totally out of place. Um, so if it shifts at all, we can't touch it. Cause if it shifts at all, it might fall out and the computer will just go out. So no touching of the laptop. So don't move. Okay. okay. But back to, uh, theology of the body. This is a topic that, you know, we talked about chastity a couple months ago and I know we touched on theology of the body in that, but I think this is a, a topic that we're going to scratch the surface a little bit on, uh, a lot, partially because I, I've just finished working my way through the theology of the body um, through reading all the significant works that John Paul wrote about the theology of the body. And I uh, just want to follow up on that, Just, but also understanding that I think that this is not going to be a comprehensive conversation on theology of the body. I think we're going to touch on a few key aspects of it, kind of get some of my reactions after reading it, compare it to what I thought it was, um, kind of compare it to your your reaction as well from only having 
like you haven't gone and read the primary sources, right? Nope. But you've heard a lot about it from, you know, Catholic speakers, whether mm-hmm. it be Christopher West, you know, whoever, whoever else. I don't mm-hmm. know who else you get your Theology the, of the Body from. Yeah, the Theology of the Body Institute is yeah. where I've gotten so a lot Bill of my Donahue formation well, from. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've read some of John Paul II, too, of course, so I, even though I haven't mm-hmm. dug into his his primary works, uh, which, by the way, maybe we should explain, because I think a lot of people don't even know that Theology of the Body results from John Paul II's series of lectures, so maybe we should explain that. Yeah, so what is Theology of the Body? Um, So there's two main texts, uh, Love and Responsibility and Man and Woman, He Created Them. That If somebody's talking about Theology of the Body, usually they're talking about one of these two sources, although... I think you could properly also talk about it in a greater scheme of John Paul II's teaching on human anthropology on the body, um, the theology, quote-unquote, of the body. Um, But it comes, I think, primarily from these two, love and responsibility being a philosophical approach, and man and women, he created them being, um, after he was pope, in a more theological approach. So he looks at scripture heavily and, and and bases a lot on scripture, whereas love and responsibility is more a lot more philosophical, what is the human person, um, what can we know through from that study of the human person about um, a number of different things, with sexuality being a large part of that, and love and responsibility also being uh, before he was Pope that he wrote. And he wrote a number of other texts that are relevant to it, but I think these two are the most. The other one I have on my desk here is The Jeweler's Shop, which is like the fictionalized version of it. It's a play, and you can see the themes from kind of like i think of c.s lewis c.s lewis is somebody who has like he has his works of theology and his works of fiction that like demonstrate his theology in in action i think that's what the jeweler's shop um does for for john paul ii is it really plays with all the themes that he talks about in the theology of the body so that's what we're talking about primarily is love and responsibility and man and women he created them but for most people you don't go directly to the source because to be honest, they're very, very intellectually heavy texts. And so the vast majority of people only have experience with the popularized version. And, and thank God we have people like Christopher West who have taken this and made it relatable. Um, but I think as a result, when we think of theology of the body, we think of maybe Christopher West or Jason Everett and not John Paul II, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I actually think, you know, talking about Christopher West making these works relatable and, you know, his his counterparts, um, it's actually, the theology of the body is actually, you know, imminently relatable to everyone, you know, which is yeah. why I think mm-hmm. it's one of the, uh, um, just one of the most important central themes, I think, surrounding our, our spirituality as Catholics today. Uh, um, so... Yeah, it's not just Christopher West made it accessible. It's that it is, you know, in its essence, accessible to everyone. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, thank God for John Paul II and his fleshing yeah. out of the theology of the body here. Uh, so let's kind of go there. Why has it been made so popular? Why are so many Catholics drawn to this thing we call theology of the body today? Great question. Yeah, I, I like to, to kind of break down what the phrase theology of the body even means. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think that's important to understand and why it's become so popular. Yeah, especially you know, considering he didn't title it theology of the body. Okay, right? yeah, it, right. It was kind of something as a term that got used to refer to it, and he used that term. He talks about the theology of the body right. in Man and Woman, He Created Them, but it wasn't as if he wrote a book and called it the theology of the body. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so sorry, go ahead. No, no worries. Uh, so yeah, just... 
to, to make sure we understand what the word theology means. I mean, logi, which is has a root that means study, and then theo, which is God, which uh, which refers to God. So a uh, little Greek lesson. The, stu- the study of God through the body. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So I think the idea is that our bodies send a message about who God is. Yes. Um, which is extremely important, and I I, I think you know as someone who has grown up. I'm almost 30 now, you know, so as someone who has grown up as a millennial, kind of in this sort of generation, um, you know, I think it was kind of subliminally preached to us that um, body bad, um, yeah. you know, the spiritu- our spirituality should not be bodily in any way, shape, or form, uh, you know, and sex is sort of bad. You know, even though it wasn't preached, it kind of, you kind of got mm-hmm. the sense that we should skirt around that topic. Um, yeah, and just this, uh, this silence when it comes to how to function as a, yeah. a bodily person. Uh, so yeah. I think just the, sending the message that, yeah, our bodies are good and preach something about, about who God is yeah. um, is a very, very beautiful and powerful message. Right. Well, it's crazy that you say that. It's like we grow up with this message of body bad, sex bad, right? And it's not necessarily articulated in those words, but it's this kind of implicit understanding. And that's why I think you think you hit on it. That's why for so many young people who, you know, maybe they go off to college and learn theology of the body. It's like a eye-opening experience. It's like, what? This is totally different. But it also is just surprising to me that and it seems odd that that's the impression as Christians that we're going to grow up with. Because, you know, when you look at theology of the body— it's it's such it comes from the lens of you know it, the the body being good is so at the heart of it um good but fallen right is so at the heart of it and one of the two of the central themes in the theology body are creation and redemption and both of those involve physical bodies right creation of the human body god declaring it's good something john paul ii meditates deeply on and then god taking on the body his his process for redemption yeah. involves him becoming a body so everything through this message of theology of the body is it's almost helping us rediscover this this thing that we've you know you could say we've lost in the way that we teach the faith sometimes of that the body is good uh-huh. um and it is a major part of our redemption and sexuality um it's about more than that yeah it's about the overall plan that the body has in our theology and it's it's fundamentally something something good yeah yeah one other thing that i'll mention on this theme too as to why theology the body is 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 so popular and why why it should be heard really across the world is that it sends the message of i can meet god again through my body in the sense of my my sensory perceptions you know everything that i see and that i touch and that i smell and that i hear Mm um you know is in its essence uh, good says something about God. Um, mm-hmm. Animals, plants, the weather, uh, the mountains—you know, just right. ev- you know everything yeah. that God has created, He made, be- uh, and it was good. Uh, which is something yeah. maybe we can discuss here in a bit. Yeah. Um, but just and meeting, being able to meet those things, to meet creation, to meet other human beings with our bodies. Yeah. Um, allows us to meet God through those things. Yeah. It's that sacramental worldview Amen. that we discussed earlier. Yeah. It's. I think of, I remember one time 
when I was a missionary out in Colorado, I had a roommate who had, he'd gone to seminary for a bit and discerned out and I was living with him and I was, we were talking about the same theme and I was, it was just something I was fascinated with, with the exposure I had to theology of the body of just how like everything in creation can lead us to God or it can be an idol, right? We, we have this choice with all these things we, we are drawn to, to either allow them to lead us to God or to stop at those things. Mm-hmm. And he introduced this phrase, this sacramental worldview phrase to me, and it just explained it. It's like, yeah, that's it. It's a sacramental worldview. It's this view that things that we encounter, everything we encounter in creation, um, has the opportunity to lead us, to be a sign of something greater, um, and to be a mystery, that, uh, lead us into the mystery of God. And I just thought that was, that was the most yeah. beautiful thing. Beautiful. So let's look at, I think maybe we could skip over um, love and responsibility, not that it's worthy of being skipped over, um, but it is more philosophical. I guess the one thing I'll say about it is, you know, it's what's cool about it is he attempts to, like, Bible aside, just ground the church's teaching on the human person in philosophy. And I think that on a philosophic level of philosophical dialogue, it's a seminal text, right? Uh-huh. It's, it's, I think, you know, um, people should read it of all different religious persuasions because it, you know, you don't have to assent to the Bible to um, take some of his arguments seriously, I think. So mm-hmm. I think that's a great text for that reason. But I think what really takes the theology body further is this man and woman. He created them, which I've just finished working through. Secret, I actually have like, I'm probably 98% of the way through. So if there's like a twist ending at the end, <laughs> just ignore everything I've said because I could be totally wrong in my interpretation. Yeah, I actually didn't tell you. I've read it on my last page. It's just in all caps. Just kidding. Gotti. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says on the last page. Yeah, dang. That would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I hope John Paul, the, the namesake of our socks on the mics right now, That's would right. not do that to me. That's hilarious. All right, but man and woman created them. Okay, so maybe I'll talk about here just kind of my reaction to it a little bit. Um, so two things. First of all, um, what astounded me about it is how much time he spends on specific biblical p- passages. And I've listed them out. So it's Genesis 1 through 3, Ephesians 5, Song of Songs, Tobit, and Matthew 22 are these biblical passages. He really spends forever just on each one of these. And... Uh, I think of note, what surprised me is I could see the Ephesians 5, which is, you know, about the, you know, be submissive to one another, husbands love your wives, etc. Um, I could see Genesis 1 through 3. Um, the Matthew 22 kind of caught me off guard. And this is the one about um, celibacy for the kingdom. Hmm. And this was a really big passage for him in Theology of the Body. That was what struck me, is it because it seems to be the kind of passage that elevates, and I'm not going to rehash it. This is where it's not going to be a thorough treatment of theology of the body. But in his treatment of um, Jesus' teaching about celibacy for the kingdom, you know, he talks about there being eunuchs that are made that way and then eunuchs that take that on, right, for the sake of a greater good. Um, his analysis of that really takes theology of the body further, right? It takes this meaning of human sexuality to something beyond and greater than ourselves. And he really looks at this, and I think just walking through that with him in the theology of the body helped me to realize, like, wow, this is, like, this is such a biblical teaching that there is a higher calling than marriage, and marriage is just a sign of that. And that this, you know, 
this tradition of the church of, of celibacy is a real thing and a higher calling and a beautiful calling. And I think that's something that was really significant for uh, John Paul II. And that, mm-hmm. that, was, that was probably the biggest one I was surprised to see because it's not like the one that nef- necessarily you hear. Um, or I don't know. I wouldn't have associated that with theology of the body before reading that. Yeah. Would you have? Uh, maybe, but I, I, I don't know that I would have expected him to spend so much time mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tobit and Song, Song of Songs, I think, of course. And uh, Tobit, he spent quite a amount of time on. And then the other one I put was our, uh, what did it autocorrect to? Yeah, it was supposed to be Gaudium et Spes, but it, it autocorrected to Gaudily Met Apes. Gaudily Met Apes. Whoever yeah. Gaudily is so. got to meet apes at the zoo, apparently. Yeah. So uh, tell the people at Google that they need to recognize important <laughs> phrases like Gaudium et Spes, because it's not Gaudily Met Apes. <laughs> But got him at space 24, which is that man cannot find himself except through sincere gift of himself. Godly met 24 apes. Yes. Good stuff, Godly. This is a really important one for him. <laughs> yeah, okay. A really important one. Um, yeah. Okay, so those are kind of the key texts, uh, some of which I was surprised by, some of which I expected. Here's kind of like one big, one big takeaway of 50 takeaways that I could have, is that I think that something I've been reflecting on regarding theology of the body, having finished it and preparing to teach it um, in the classroom, is it's not a sex talk. And I think on one level, I always knew that. Um, but one of, the thing, one of the things that struck me when I started talking about theology of the body with some of my students, you know, freshmen in high school, is often they have kind of a groaning reaction. And it was frustrating at first when I'd bring it up because it's like, why are they like this is changing lives? Like it's changed my life. It's changed the lives of so many people I know. And here they are groaning. Right. And I couldn't figure out like, has this just been taught badly to them? Has it been introduced badly? And I think that my conclusion is that sometimes I'm not even gonna say often. I think sometimes in the popular treatment of theology of the body, it gets reduced to, um, a sex talk or it gets described and i've even described it before as oh this is about the church teaching on sexuality right um and it is but i'd say it's more so the church's teaching on the human person it's an anthropology mm-hmm. a study of man and who man is and when you read the theology of the body the man and women created them that's what it is that's really what it is it's about who am i as a human being body and soul how do i relate to others and kind of as a like appendix, as a corollary of all this, come the church's teachings of sexuality. So I do think it's so linked to sexuality, but not as like this is I, I think that it's maybe not the full picture to even think of it as this is the defense of the church's teachings of sexuality. Sure. It's not. It's actually no, this is what the church, through what God has revealed, sees as a human person and as God's plan for the human person. And this has radical implications on our whole life, yeah, including our sexuality. So I think sometimes it actually gets reduced to sexuality, and it's actually even more agree than that. Yeah, it's how to live out our personhood with mm-hmm. our bodies. You know, uh, what, integrated spirituality is a phrase that I really like to use. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not just about closing your eyes and lifting your mind up to God in prayer. In yeah. that sense, it's also about meeting the lord through our bodies and the way we use our i don't want to say use our bodies but for lack of a better phrase that's what i'll say uh yeah and it's just good news such good news Mm -hmm. that our bodies are not bad 
mm-hmm. um, you know, and that God gave them to us for that purpose. Yeah, it's fascinating thinking about the groans that come from the high school students yeah. too when you mention it because, you know, it's not as if sex isn't on their minds because I think mm-hmm. that would be false to say that, you know, like, and I, I think yeah. it, it's not as if they, they, uh, they look with repulsion or they, they think about sex with repulsion because I think that's definitely not the case, especially mm-hmm. kids who are, you know, uh, going through puberty and starting to feel those, you know, uh, mm-hmm. those urges towards the opposite sex. Um, but I, I guess I just wonder if it's their perspective of what you're going to say mm-hmm. about sex. Yeah. Right. When you bring it up. I think that's what it is. Yeah. You know, it's not as if they're not wanting to talk about sex. Uh, I do think it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's that they're anticipating that you're going to say something that yeah. they don't want to hear. Yeah. Which is, you know, a non-starter right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but I just want to reiterate, too, in the theology body, this is such good news, such yeah. good news about sex specifically, yeah. you know, and it also, you're exactly right. It's not just about sex. That's a, that's a piece in the yeah. puzzle of living out our integrated spirituality as human beings. But I just, you know, rekindling the wires in our minds mm-hmm. of sex is bad. It's just so hard, yeah. you know, especially when you're talking to high, high school kids. So yeah. um, I don't know how to do that. It's hard to hard yeah. to say. Yeah, and I think it's something that, like, it's interesting. One of our approaches in rolling this this new part of our curriculum out at the high school is to really focus, particularly freshman and sophomore year, on themes like human dignity hmm. um, and friendship, because th- both of those are as much a part of the theology of the body as Amen. you know uh, talking about premarital sex or contraception or any of that. Right? You can't start there um, for sure. You yeah, can't, exactly. You can't no, that's exactly sex. right. And I think that. Maybe that's the temptation sometimes is to say, okay, I have this magic formula. This is going to explain. Once you read this, once you learn this, you're going to just, you're going to get all the church's teachings on yeah, sexuality. That's right. And I've approached it like that before, I think. I'm like, this is the cure. This is the cure to the societal disease that we have. Mm-hmm. And the, I think in thinking about how to have these conversations, beginning to have these conversations with, with, you know, younger, particularly younger students, 14, 15 year olds, um, and coupling that with my own experience now of having read it, it's, yeah, let's start with looking at who are we? What is a human person? Um, how do we engage in authentic friendship? Mm-hmm. How do we respect the dignity of others? Um, and then let that spill over into romantic relationships, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, think, I think that that has to be certainly a Beautiful. part of it. So yeah. true. So true. Yeah, I think it's so important because sex only flows from an, uh, you know, uh, ordered sex, I think, only flows from an understanding of how men and women relate to one another. Mm-hmm. And it starts with man and woman are created in the image of God. And, and together, you know, man mm-hmm. and woman in relationship reflect who God is. Um, you know, and our, our man's and woman's bodies both reflect who God is, the giving and receiving, the self-gift mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of our Lord. Um, and you know, just once you have an understanding of that, then we can talk about, okay, sex is that highest act where, Mm -hmm. you know, the human being reflects God in the highest sense, you know, the giving and receiving and the generation of the third. Very high. I don't know about highest. Yeah. Uh, the Eucharist. Fair enough. Okay. Right. Fair enough. Yep. Uh, so, but yeah, just, uh, um, 
this really, really high sense in which we uh, mm-hmm. reflect the image of God. But now we have that understanding of the human body and um, our mm-hmm. dignity as human beings. Then we can talk about sex is my long-winded yeah. way of, of saying that. Yep. Yeah, no, I um, think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. So we have a few themes here. Uh, do you want to say more about Sacramento worldview? Or do you think we addressed that fine? Um, maybe I'll, I'll say that uh, the work that we do with More Than Entertained uh, is nope, very much that, about sorry. <laughs> okay, yeah. unless you're reading my articles. <laughs> it's very tied to theology of the body, I think, and uh, you know, being able to to see God through the works that we um, um, that we reflect on yeah, and entertain. I think that's yeah. right. So, um, uh, yeah, very tied to sacramental worldview. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's yeah. The more than entertained, I think, particularly latches on to the sacramental worldview aspect of theology of the body and really runs with that. So that's good. Okay. Uh, it's an okay website other than that. All right. And Average. then uh, language of the body. So next one, moving on from more than entertained. Just kidding. I don't know why I'm talking like that. Because <laughs> I've got an article coming out maybe. Uh-oh. Stay tuned. Um, language of the body. This was a, a, a phrase that I noticed kept coming up, particularly towards the end of theology of the body, as he tried to apply it to practical church teachings, like in particular um, – the church teaching on contraception. Uh, but basically the theme here is that what we do with our bodies matters. And this stems again from the anthropology of the body is good. Human beings are created good, but fallen. But because we're created good and our bodies have meaning and purpose, what we do with and in and through our bodies matters, right? It's not, our bodies are a very integral aspect of who we are. We're not this ghost in the machine trapped in a body. No, but what we do in our body is what we do. It is who we are. And so as a result of that, the, what he calls the language of the body, what we do in our bodies expresses real moral acts, right? Expresses um, the whole of who we are. And so the things that we do, and this is what can help with, with thinking about some of the church teachings, is like the ways that we act in our body, including sexually, says something. Mm-hmm. It is saying something, right? So any of the quote-unquote sins... Um, well, yes, sins. And I don't want to take put quotes. <laughs> take my quotes away. Any of the sins that the church calls sins, right, with regard to sexuality, are that way because they are saying something that is contrary to human dignity, is contrary to the truth. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, any way in which it takes away from the gift of self, right, the full gift of self. There are ways that we can. We can act in our bodies that are not being a full gift of yourself. We're holding back. We're being selfish, right? Um, and the language of the body matters because it actually, what we do in our bodies reflects that. Let's go down that whole uh, rabbit okay. hole for a second. So can you think of an example of a situation where uh, like a bodily act would be an inherent act of selfishness or like an inherent... Uh, sinful thing or red flag that the church gives i mean i think the argument is contraception does this yeah um is it is in you're saying you're you're literally yeah you're literally saying i you're taking away the fruitful aspect Mm -hmm. um that gift and that gift of self and there's again this is where there's so much to it um in terms of the reasons why but um it is it is a way in which or um you know, sex outside of marriage, maybe a, a more simpler one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the one that I, I yeah, hoped we'd talk go about. to, right? Is yeah. There's not that full lifelong commitment. And yet in your body, you're saying something that means, you know, giving fully every. Yeah. That's what he said is that the sexual act is a full giving of oneself. And so if you are not fully giving of yourselves, it's like a lie. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Let's push back on that one for a second because, um, okay. and again, I, I, again, I'm, I'm adhering <laughs> to the, 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 the teachings of the Catholic yeah. church. Sex outside of marriage is, is simple. Yeah. Um, but so you, we, I could see someone who's having sex out of marriage with their significant other, just you know, sleeping with anyone going, Oh, like the other person wanted that. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, saying yes to their desire. Yeah, that's not, I'm not being selfish. I'm just saying yes yeah. to them, to what they want, uh, which that's a good thing, right? Um, yeah. So what what would be the response yeah. to that? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's the difference between seeing the love between a, a man and a woman as a mutual agreement and seeing it as a covenant, hmm. right? So the church's understanding is this is a lifelong covenant where you make a permanent, full on commitment. And the sexual act is the fullest expression of that full-on commitment that belongs in that full-on commitment. And when you reduce, I think a lot of times, you know, you know, people who, you know, engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, or even if it's, let's say, a committed relationship, right? Um, they've still reduced it in some way to this, um, this like more contractual thing, right? And, and, I mean, I have a hard time, and I, I think you could argue with that, but I, I have a hard time seeing how you can engage in a relationship, not be willing to make that lifelong commitment, and say that it's, you know, you're fully giving of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I think it's a question that people go back and forth on all the time, you know, yeah. and um, uh, I, I think the one thing that it gets me is, you know, sex is is not. It, let me say it this way: sex has a purpose that it's for. Uh, there, you know, God created it for a specific purpose within a certain context. Mm-hmm. I like to use the example of you know a sports game, for example, soccer. I love soccer, obviously. There's literally lines around the outside of a soccer field and around the lines of most fields. Um, you know, or, or courts. And the reason is, if you remove those, mm-hmm. uh, you'll lose the organization and the purpose of that sport. So yeah. God has given, you know, those quote-unquote lines, if you will, uh, to orient uh, sex uh, in the way that it was intended. Um, you know, so once you have sex outside of marriage, you're now using it f- uh for a purpose other than which it was intended. Um, how yeah. have I articulated well, no, that? No, I think that that's okay? right. All right. And I think that's at the heart of theology of the body. Is what is theology of the body? It's rediscovering that purpose mm-hmm. of God for man and for our Beautiful work of art where, you know, Adam is um, kind of has a limp finger, God reaching out to, to give life to man, mm-hmm. to give life to Adam. And Adam is completely naked. I mean, nothing is, is unexposed mm-hmm. except for his backside. Mm-hmm. Um, so almost, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> half of him is okay. Anyway, you know what I mean. Just fully exposed, almost before uh, the viewer of the art, um, and you know, woman behind God, uh, 
um, you know, only not exposed because God's in the way um, in the art. And I love this concept of just being naked and without shame. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about this uh, way back when. What was it called? Spiritual nakedness, nakedness is what we talked yeah. about way back yeah. in the day. Yeah, this idea yeah. of being naked and then being received in our nakedness, being said yes to in our nakedness. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. I just love yeah. that vision of, of man and woman being able to participate in and with one another in their nakedness before God. Yeah. And he meditates deeply on this in, in the theology of the body because it's from Genesis 1 through 3. And Yeah, I, th- I, I think of this, again, you know, not to steer away from sexuality, but it's just shows that it's so far beyond that right because the experience of sin the experience of being less than you you could be right makes you feel this kind of sense of shame right this sense of okay i come before god i feel naked i feel exposed i feel um you know whatever right um but realizing that the vision the pre-fall before before the fall right and and the vision for redemption involves being naked and, and unashamed, right? To, right? to be able to be um, who you fully are and, and not hide behind fig leaves. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, I think that's good. Good, beautiful image there. One thing I do want to mention, again, with Michelangelo, is he has um, a, a crucifix that it, that's attributed to him um, that I think sits in Florence. And it has really moved me. Uh, but, you know, most crucifixes do not show Jesus naked, even though he likely would have been when he was crucified. Yeah. They have the the cloak or the, the cloth there to mm-hmm. you know, preserve his dignity. Yeah, which I think you shared with me and blew my mind. Oh. You did, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, he crafted a sculpture, a crucifix yeah. um, of, you know, Jesus more or less naked, mm-hmm. um, which is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it connects those, it connected those images for me, Adam and Eve in the garden and Jesus on the cross were both naked. Yeah. And it connects right. those right, right, right. Yeah. it connects those being mm-hmm. naked and unashamed. You know, yeah. he Jesus reestablishes that mm-hmm. uh, on the cross. Yeah. That's um, right. Which don't go run around naked, but maybe right. we'll sort yeah, for yeah. another time. We have a modesty episode. That's right. Yeah. Refer you to that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh okay. Uh where to? Where to? Uh we got how might TOB be the answer to some of our world's key moral issues? Tons of things. Uh, but the body is good in X context, X being in the context mm-hmm. of, uh, of the church, mm-hmm. um, leads to a lot of moral issues being cleaned up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Such as uh, sexual promiscuity, which we've already talked about, abortion, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the value of life. Gender confusion, man and woman, we, he created them, and that's good. Mm-hmm. Contraception, we've already discussed. Yeah. Uh, so, all yeah, sorts of things. Yeah, and I think one thing too, to just to touch on that, like to think of, you know, I think one of the one of the challenges to the church's teachings on sexuality is it's hard, right? We have these these drives, these instincts that feel like yeah. a part of our body, right? That feel like a part of who we are, that drive us to things that you know, ultimately don't make us happy, right? But we can kind of become complacent in these lesser goods that don't make us happy because it's really hard mm-hmm. just not to fall into them, right? And so I think one of the things that he, he really brings to the table in Theology of the Body, and this actually gets into his, what, what really interests me is, is he, 
he kind of i think it kind of helps explain the distinction between like nfp and contraception in his mind is that one requires like virtue one requires discipline and that's the reality is that so many of the church's teachings do require discipline and virtue but that what do we find and this goes back to the anthropology we find that human being is a, is a being that has free will that has the ability to make decisions that cultivate habits right and cultivating good habits virtuous habits is tough at times thank god we have the aid of grace but it's tough at times but in the end leads to happiness right so and we have the little examples that i love talking about um with with students especially like you know the athlete right the athlete who denies himself immediate pleasure you know by working hard by eating healthy by doing all these things sacrificing so many short-term goods for a long-term good so john paul ii talks about how in sexuality it's so often it's it's doing the same thing right we do have to no matter what your vocation you have to practice some kind of self-denial in your sexual appetites actually a lot of it regardless of your vocation right amen but it is in that practice of sexual of self-denial that we learn to master um ourselves to master those sinful inclinations that we have and it's can sometimes be a lifelong process but that you know again it's that vision that will lead to uh, to, to greater happiness lead to a deeper ha- happiness rather than just settling for it's hard i'm going to live in these yeah these you know kind of lesser false images of happiness amen you use a lot of great language there it reminded me of John Henry Newman's idea of the church uh, being kind of the uh, the banks of a river, uh, mm-hmm. and the river flows as a result of the banks in a certain direction. It's a good song about that too. Oh, really? Need to breathe. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Banks free river. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it's not about the church. Gotcha. Doctrine, but it's, a, it's, still, <laughs> it's still about a river with banks. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I just love that image of we aren't called to withhold to dam d-a-m our uh our river of desire mm-hmm. or um, to d-a-m fair enough, yeah. <laughs> <Neither>. <laughs> fair enough uh but rather we're called to order that desire to to flow the channel yeah. of that river in a particular direction you know via the banks of the church uh, it's an ordering of desire not a withholding um which i've always appreciated that image yeah yeah that's right okay two questions i think in closing living tob so you have this one question about example of someone who lives tob well or certain culture maybe did you have an answer to this or you just posed a question uh yeah did you want to did you want to answer it do you have a thought i don't or? have one yet. okay <laughs> gotcha yeah um so i think what i was getting at there is i really appreciate people who are uh like affectionate in an ordered way bodily you know so like um i use the example of other cultures like uh what's a good example of a culture that is very like uh touchy-feely in an ordered way i used the wrong phrase i don't know there, you i've know seen I mean. like people from spain like yeah. kiss each other on the cheek or whatever. that's right so, that's a yeah. good example like i think hispanic culture i think the mexican culture is pretty good about this or the spanish mm-hmm. culture you know there's or or uh, i don't know the italian culture maybe there's just cultures where their bodies are very much a part of the way that they interact with one another. Um, or even families. You know, families that like... Uh, uh, 
I thought of this. It's probably inappropriate, but I thought of this uh, SNL um, skit one time where, um, like, the joke of the skit was that there was this family in their house where they were just like kiss each other on the lips way too much you know like like two guys like an adult son and adult father like kiss each other on the lips anyway it it was to the point it was like really inappropriate which was the brunt of the joke you know but but there's that idea of like certain families are just like really affectionate and um Mm -hmm. they give each other hugs and kiss on the cheek or whatever and it's just totally it's just totally normal and I really appreciate that. That is very much theology of the body to me. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, feeling free to express love, charity, in an order and sense yeah. with their bodies. Yeah, I think my answer to this, I think it's a beautiful answer. I think that my answer to this is good. I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to say John Paul II hmm. himself, Carol Watila, as we called him before he was Pope. You know, we considering, never mind. I didn't <laughs> live when he was Carol, but sometimes I call him Carol for fun. But... I think he's an example. What astounds me about him is, again, you know, we've established that we're not reducing theology of the body to sexuality, but just how much that he understood in his theology of body writings, on all of his writings, understood human love in all its forms. And I think that that comes from somebody who lived an integrated sexuality, um, a man who lived prayerfully. Um, who contemplated all these things. Um, I think theology of the body lived well involves a deep contemplative life as well. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of the one I come to because I think, and maybe like kind of in, in complementarity to your example of like this, you know, physically affectionate family, right. Um, or culture or whatever. Uh, John Paul II, I think was physically affectionate. You see all sorts of pictures of him hugging people. And, um, but, you know, I think a, a man ultimately who shows us kind of the the vision, the goal, the deeper, what it's all oriented towards. I think he would be my example. Amen. Beautiful. It's kind of, I mean, it's hard to beat the guy who wrote it. It know? is. but It's a cop-out answer, but we'll allow it. All right. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> all right. And your last question is your hot take question. Yep. I'll ask it to you. And you get to, to give your, you get right. to give your hot take. Here we go. I'll give you my hot take. All right. Is it okay to paint or draw a nude model like in a live classroom yeah i know what you mean okay i know what you mean i'm gonna answer this question with a story okay and the story is that maybe about a year ago i was listening to the the ask christopher west podcast and this question was asked to him but it was asked from him to him from like a personal standpoint of like hey this, this, this listener wrote in and said i'm in this i'm in this class and you know we're, we're painting a nude model etc like should I be doing this? And I think there was more to the question based off their own like personal experience, what it was like for them. But to my great surprise, Christopher Rest's answer was, it depends. Hmm. And that I just remember being so struck, so taken aback because I think that at least a large part of me was fully expecting him to say, no, don't do that. It's bad. And he said, it depends. And I don't remember all the nuance he went into it, but what I took away is that I think that, well, I think that what's, what's underlying this question of asking, you know, is it okay to paint or draw a nude model? Is this maybe assumption that we are so broken in our sexuality that we always have to hide, Hmm. right? That we always have to live in this super safeguarded box to keep us from, um, 
falling into sin. And it may be the case that for many people, it would never be appropriate to paint a nude model. I don't know. Especially in our culture. Yeah, especially in this day and age. But I think that what his answer revealed to me is that we don't have to stop there. We have hope. We have hope of redemption. And that may just be in heaven when we experience the glorification um, of you know seeing the human body in all its glory without concupiscence. But we don't have to surrender our whole lives to the weakness and the boxes we have to place around our weakness, that we can hope for a greater freedom. Hmm. What do you think? It's beautiful. You buy it? Yeah, I do. It's amazing. Just thinking about how good that sounds to be able to look at a woman in her nakedness and not use her Mm -hmm. automatically, you know, in her nakedness. Uh, Sounds so beautiful, doesn't it? Just to be able to see someone in their nakedness of the opposite sex, especially, and see them for who they are and love them in that, you know? Uh, Yeah. Or to look at anyone just for who they are, right? In all their weaknesses and not fall into comparison or lust or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a hope that we need to hold on to while obviously having the proper safeguards, the proper boundary lines drawn for our own weakness, but for our own personal weakness, amen. Yeah. knowing that it's possible to see someone in their nakedness yeah. in an ordered way. Yeah. And I think that is key to theology of the body. And I think something I've, I've thought about and prayed a lot about a lot recently is that I think that essential to the Christian life, to the Christian understanding of the human person, has to be that at least hope, at least that hope that we can be redeemed yeah. in our concupiscence. Because um, I think if we, if we surrender ourselves to concupiscence and we say, mm-hmm. it's just too hard, I'm never going to get there, then it becomes really easy to say, oh, well, it's too hard. What the church asks is too hard, so I'm just not going to live it. Mm-hmm. Right, because I think that happens when you let go of the hope, when you let go of the hope Amen. of redemption, and uh, yeah, so the, I think that hope is is so crucial and so important, and that's why Matthew twenty two to tie it all back together with the you know celibacy for the kingdom and the the viewpoint of the resurrection that John Paul brings, the resurrection of the bodies, um, is so important for him because it doesn't just stop here; it's where mm-hmm. we're going towards a resurrected vision of the human body created redeemed resurrected such good news isn't it it's good news i wish we i wish we revered that phrase more good news Mm -hmm. i feel like it's just overused Mm. and needs to be treated as good news you know what i'm saying like (laughs) good news man i uh seriously i uh found a dollar on the street (laughs) well even in the context of the gospel someone says the good news it's like yeah all right here we go again, kind of a yeah. thing. You know, we need a better phrase. I don't know. I don't want to say better phrase, but we need to we need to restore that phrase to the reverence that it's due because mm-hmm. uh, this is ultimate good news, capital G, yeah. capital N. Yeah. The one that never wears away. Um, the best news. Should we right. call it the best news? That's right. Maybe we should, yeah. Okay. The goodest news? <laughs> yeah. The goodest, goodester. The better news. That's right. Make America... Good news again. (laughs) It's me. Here we go. All right. We should probably stop. All right. This has been another conversation. We've enjoyed it. Uh, Love to hear from you. Colloquium show at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Colloquium. Praise be Jesus Christ. Now and forever. Amen.